listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing, sir? All is well. All is well. Look, I, I'm not going to lie. I was about to take a drink of water there when you, you hit record. And I'm a former waiter. I'm, uh, yeah, exactly. I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm really good at asking people how their food is while their mouths are full. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, to be fair, I should have known that it was coming. It's not like it's my first time doing this. <laughs> yes, 158 <episode laughs> Something recorded? like that. Yeah. But no, it's good to be chatting again. And uh, I'm excited for today's show. I think, uh, um, you know, it's funny because... You know, we kind of rarely um, find somebody in the manufacturing marketing space that is um, a long time, if you will, uh, disciple of even Web 2.0. Yeah, <laughs> let alone uh, blogging and social. Well, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited to chat about it today. For sure, because it definitely, you know, people who've been at it for this amount of time... It, have ended up building, you know, something of an unassailable asset. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't want to try to date today's uh, guest. We're not saying that he's old or anything. We're just no, saying we that are. The, the brand itself has been at it for a while. Yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> we're looking forward to this. So joining us today is Jim Cahill. Jim is the chief blogger and head of social media marketing at Emerson Automation Solutions. Welcome to the Coolering, Jim. Well, it's so great to be here with y'all. I, I thought you were calling me old for a minute, but that was a good uh, uh, recovery there. I feel much better now. <laughs> Man, it's uh, if you uh, look like Jeff and I, you do not spend a lot of time calling others old. <laughs> Let's put it that yeah. way. There, there's enough gray. I just try and hide it Yeah, <laughs> by getting rid of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, Jim, look, um, uh, look, uh, uh, I, I will um, I'll maybe date you a little bit and just say that you've been at Emerson for 33 years. So um, uh, that is a remarkable stint. Why don't you tell us a little bit? There's probably nobody better to tell us about Emerson Automation Solutions than you. So why don't you introduce us to the company a little bit? Tell us what you're up, you're up to, and then uh, we'll go from there. All right. Well, Emerson as a company has two primary businesses. People may know Emerson from the other side, commercial and residential solutions. Maybe they're in sinkerator, garbage disposal in their sink or a ceiling fan or uh, different products more for that commercial side. But I'm in the Emerson Automation Solutions side. Basically, we provide automation to across different types of manufacturing and production from pharmaceuticals, oil and gas and refining to some of the discrete type manufacturing, um, automotive and some of the other industries. So basically we provide the instrumentation and automation so they can run their facilities safely, efficiently, sustainably, all, all those good things. Um, and, yeah, I've been with Emerson for 33 years and in various sales and marketing roles. And my background is a bit of being an electrical engineer started as one of those guys that try to keep offshore production platforms um, safe and reliable and all that. And then 
I guess, 33 years ago, I switched sides to try to influence those type of people to buy our particular um, automation technologies and solutions. Now, I'm, uh, I'm well aware that the blog did not start uh, 33 years ago, but when did it? Uh, EmersonAutomationExperts.com. Yeah, I, I wasn't aware of the internet 33 years ago, so it, it was a evolving thing. It was basically around the mid-90s, and I, at the time, was with a group that launched a brand new control system called Delta V, and we worked on building up that brand. But a few years later, um, actually, I guess it was around 2006, we combined our systems business with a solutions business that basically did projects working with customers to install these systems. And I was in charge of the brand building, so no longer just for our control system, but also for our people. And we really didn't have much of a presence at all. And that was the idea to get the blog started, that we would tell stories of our experts, whether they were project experts or um, ongoing optimization uh, experts, and just get their stories out there where people Googling around or whatever their favorite search engine could um, find them and know we had the capabilities. So that was really the start. And then all these other social platforms kept emerging over the years since then. So the blog, I guess, started around 2006. And we've been at it in one form or fashion ever since then. I love this idea of um, leveraging your people and your team and showcasing their expertise and, and really elevating them. And, and, you know, I think that that can help to provide a, an awful lot of fodder for uh, for content. Um, and, and I know you guys are, are doing it at a at a very high level in terms of how you uh, how you approach that internally and, and how you find people to bring to the fore with the blog. Eh? Yeah. I I mean, our business is very technical. We sell to engineers. Most of the people that work for Emerson are engineers. And you know, it's really just being able to get that expertise out and share it. So when, you know, engineers by nature are, are charged to solve problems, there's always a problem in front of them to solve. And it's, it's important that we make sure they understand that we have a lot of experts that can help them. You know, it's not just the technology you put into these really complex manufacturing facilities. It's, it's also the expertise and more and more, it gets more complicated as, as go, as time goes on where they need more help from the suppliers of the technology. I wonder, I'm kind of curious, um, how have you found, there's no question that engineers get, um, you know, it's often said they, they, they demand uh, obviously very technically accurate and complete information, um, desire that and the information that's uh, content that's created for, for engineers ought to, to kind of have that in mind. Um, but then, of course, when the story you talked about telling the stories of our experts, which to me felt like it could go a couple more, of different more ways. More touchy-feely than well, uh, technical? Yeah, so I'm kind of, uh, I guess I'm curious. Uh, have you found, um, uh, I guess, uh, is there a balance to be struck there, Jim? Do people also want to 
uh, get to know uh, the people behind the product and, and, and does that tend to resonate or do you find yourself um, sticking to more technical knitting as it were? Well, it, it usually in, in most of the posts, it starts with some kind of challenge. They're challenged in doing something. It might be cybersecurity. It might be um, energy efficiency and trying to get better in that, you know, maybe advancement of sustainability to become a more sustainable manufacturer. You know, so usually that's the starting point, a bit of the challenge. Um, what we can do in terms of technology and our people to be able to help with it. So it's still pretty, um, it's still pretty technical because those challenges tend to be that way. So I, I would say, you know, if somebody came upon the Emerson Automation Experts blog and looked at it, uh, it would have a technical bent. And, you know, I'm an engineer by degree. I'm probably not the flashiest writer, but I just try to have enough in there to, you know, be able to identify, um, you know, what that challenge is, because that's probably what they're gonna find in a search and then describe it a little bit and then have links where you can dive as deep as you want and either links to content where that might be or to people, you know, connect with our expert directly in LinkedIn, ask them a question, or we have an online community, get in there, join your global peers and, you know, fire away your uh, questions and engage. So we try to have that as, you know, a call to action out of there from however you found it that you can go further because the blog itself is you know, maybe 500 words or something like that. So it's not going to be the be all end all to their solution. That's interesting. And the, uh, I mean, it, uh, I, I find it interesting, this notion of people connecting with the experts via LinkedIn as well after mm. reading the post. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, I guess it's a point of conversion that, you know, a lot of, uh, uh, because companies themselves don't own that point of conversion, uh, I think sometimes it can be uh, maybe even scary. Well, yeah. well, they try to maybe don't even try to encourage it. Yeah. Right. Uh, but but in this instance, Jim, are you finding folks are converting on LinkedIn, building a rapport, digging deeper into the challenge that brought them to the content in the first place, and then it's uh, the engineering team then moves it over to sales when appropriate. Yeah, that's that's really exactly how it goes. So somebody may come upon a post featured some expert, there's a little LinkedIn icon, or you can email them um, directly. And then what they'll tend to do is answer the initial, identify where that person is located. And we have a, a um, global response center that helps. So, you know, it's not up to the expert to try to figure out what sales um, organization to engage. We have a team that can do that and get it in there into a sales realm. So, and that's what we see a lot. Uh, the one thing I might not get visibility to all these connections, but I have built up relationships with our experts where they tend to, you know, if something good happens and we sell, you know, a thousand valves that started with a blog post or something like that, that uh, they usually come back and share the good news with me. And, <laughs> and I'll report that on because, you know, social provides a lot of metrics, but not a lot of ROI. It's those anecdotes that really, um, you know, fuel what we do and say this, this is very valuable to us. 
Yeah, you really have to tie it together and and bring mm -hmm. it back. Especially, I, I'm wondering, um, you know, the the C-suite and and the other folks at Emerson are are you reporting this to them? Do you have specific metrics that you share, um, talking about uh, you know the number of connections made and things like that, or is it still more organic than that? Yeah, we put out a monthly scorecard, and part of that scorecard is you know, the health of our different social channels from LinkedIn company page, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all those kind of things. And that provides, you know, some level, just the health. Are, are we gaining? Are we losing? Is the, our content getting engaged with? We also kind of feature because we work hard at training our experts to be social savvy where they can confidently put things out and uh, to their connections in LinkedIn. And we find that gets a whole lot more engagement. People engage with people much more than they engage with brands on that. So we really encourage that and report and say, who's doing a really good job each month. And then really the last part are those anecdotes. And that's really important from, you know, things that drive loyalty, like, getting them into the community among their peers or just sales opportunities. I had one, you know, I saw this picture of this big skid that measures the transfer of custody of oil, you know, from one company to another and all the measurements involved. The guy said, he looked at the picture. I said, he said, I want exactly that, that picture there. So you could have a picture in a blog post that leads to a big sales opportunity. Got a couple of, uh, well, at least one or two comments, but one question. I'm curious about this. You said you, you uh, have a point of conversion for, for on the blog post that are both connect with the expert by uh, email or by LinkedIn. Do you have a sense of the distribution, the percentage that does one versus the other? Well, if it is email, it's it's one of those where there's a specific subject line you know, pre-populated in there and I'm CC'd on it. So if they don't go and delete me, I see those. Um, so those I get a little bit more visibility for, mm -hmm. and I can also make sure that the SME, our subject matter expert is engaging with it. And, and I also will send it on to our global response center so they can track and make sure who the right organization is. But I suspect a lot more really happens through LinkedIn. And that's just, again, it's it's anecdotes from people reporting back to me that they made a connection or something like that. But that one's a lot harder to track since it's in there. But it's, you know, it's part of our, our thought is the faster we can get someone into, you know, the right person, the right expert in the organization, the greater our chance it will be as a sales opportunity for that. So, you know, although I think sales would always like that you come in through that door and it works its way through the process, you know, people have been trained by Amazon and all these other things and want um, fast, fast response there. So social is a big way that we can, um, you know, make that happen. 
I think that's instructive for our listeners to think about as you as you think about calls to action and connectivity with mm. experts. It's a, I wouldn't say it's a super common strategy, but it is a strategy that is employed uh, reasonably frequently to say we need to kind of uh, lift the veil, if you will, and show uh, our market, our experts here, and, and really get them. Yeah, but but they they don't take the. I think most people don't take that step of of understanding to give them different ways of connecting. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that they don't do, which I think is also um, a very uh, instructive, uh, Jim, from your experience, is, is this making it easy for experts to pump that thing to sales. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah, that, they don't necessarily always know how to do that. Yeah, that global just kind response of dies center. in limbo. Yeah. yeah, the global response center is a really, really well thought out um, uh, piece for that, and I think it's a missing piece for a lot of organizations. Yeah, and we're a very complex company, and we acquire different companies, and there's different sales channels, and depending what world area could be different yet again. So it really takes someone that has it all mapped out. You know, what did, what did I say? It's like that football analogy of the quarterback running and optioning to the running back. Get it into somebody's hands that can, you know, do something with it to to make it happen. But, um, you know, it just it basically provides us this big digital footprint of people and and other things, um, you know, to be able to try to get people to where they need to be. So they see Emerson as being very helpful in the things that they need to do and the problems they need to solve. Are your digital marketing efforts bringing in too many junk leads? Stop wasting time and distracting your sales team. Account-based marketing can help give your marketing strategy the laser focus on qualified buyers that you need to increase your pipeline velocity, close more deals, and grow your business faster. We've created a sample manufacturing ABM plan to help you get started. Download the sample manufacturing ABM plan at bit.ly slash sample ABM. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash sample ABM. I mean, it's so often the case, you know, as as marketers and salespeople like we are, you know, our ilk are all over LinkedIn, but you don't often see engineers there quite as often. Do you find um, that you have to coach them into that somehow? Or, or are a lot of the engineers and subject matter experts that you have well-versed in, in being present on social when they come to you? What's, what's more common? Well, we developed curriculum specifically for that for our experts. And it, it's kind of why do we do it at all as Emerson? You know, what are some of the do's and don'ts so you don't get yourself into trouble and, you know, violating some law? Like if you're leaking financial data before your company has leaked that at the, or, or you know, said that at the end of the quarter. So we go through and do that. And we also have a, um, I guess the category is employee advocacy platform that they come into. So a lot of the things that they can share is curated content that myself and other marketing communicator put in there. And also a, a really important part is that the subject matter expert can suggest content because we don't want it being just push Emerson, you know, content to your connections all the time. We want, you know, if you've read an interesting article and you're in the pharmaceutical or life sciences industry and it's some trend or some regulatory thing that's 
different. We, we want to be able to put that out. So as people share that with their connections, you know, they get credit for that, that they look really smart and on top of things. So that that platform really helps us do that. And it it and it and once in there, then we can identify, well, who who were the top performers out there in terms of what they shared and how much engagement it got and other thing. And that tends to spur people to be a little more competitive and stick with it. You know, the, the, the one thing, you know, it's extra work. People have their day jobs and things they have to do, but we try to sell them on the idea that by participating in there, that they're building their personal brand among the connections they have and everything else. So, you know, just invest a little bit, even if you're only doing a post a week or, or sharing something like that, whatever your baby step is, you know, it all contributes to building your personal brand. I love this idea of making it a little bit of a competition and because you have a leaderboard too, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we put that into the scorecard that we put out each month and share around. So that's, we tend to see a spike in activity and sharing after that scorecard goes out, people are fired up and, and after it. The human think, condition is pretty interesting. Yeah. yeah. But part of your question there initially, Jeff, was, um, or baked in it, was a bit of an assumption that engineers really aren't, uh, you know, LinkedIn isn't a natural habitat for engineers. Well, and if that were true, um, then they wouldn't be converting with these experts mm. and communicating via LinkedIn. Uh, you know, so I think maybe the message there to marketers too is, is, you know, engineers are on LinkedIn. They may just not be interacting with your marketing the way you want them to. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's some LinkedIn groups that have 300,000, you know, people joined and it's very technical, like, uh, measurement instrumentation or instrumentation professionals, or, you know, you'd be surprised how many are in there. I, I do think, you know, it just seems like more and more LinkedIn, you get sales pitches, a lot of other things. So I worry a little bit if, you know, every time they log in and people are trying to sell them something or whatever else, it's going to it's going to do some damage to people wanting to get there. But I'd say at least at where we're at right now, we find our customers are in there. And and I know that personally, because they'll engage with some of the posts that I put out there, you know, I'll, I'll share whatever my latest blog post in there, and, and we'll get a, a little dialogue going on quite a number of them. So, you know, I, I do see them out there. Jim, I'd be curious, what's your, um, how does this presence that you've developed over the years with this, with a blog really being the the foundation of it. How does it compare to the competition? Uh, are they exposing experts in a similar way or are they playing a bit of a me too game? Where are we at with that? I think there's, there's differences among them. Some are very, I would say marketing driven, high level messages, that kind of thing. So not as much, you know, raising the visibility of experts in a, other ones. Some don't have blogs, but they have communities and, you know, where that peer-to-peer -peer knowledge sharing is, happens, and, you know, so, and then some, I don't even see a social presence at all from them. It's like 
oh, that's not an important part of marketing or whatever. So it tends to run the gamut from, you know, one where it looks like the agency runs the blog and it's beautiful pearly words and pictures and everything else. Um, so I, I would say we're probably somewhere in the middle, although I would say we were first out of the gates, definitely. We were we were with the early blogs like the Dells and other people of the world way, way back when. It wasn't, uh, corporate blogs was a whole new thing. And your location is, I think, across the highway or so from Dell, is it not? Yeah, I, I like to say their their initial chief blogger and I would go to lunch occasionally, you know, right from the big Delk complex and, you know, just just share war stories of of it. But yeah, they uh, they started just a couple months after. So I always had bragging rights that we started it first. <laughs> How much? Uh, so you didn't steal it from Dell, I guess that we know. But how much did it, did you do you think the location being based in Austin kind of drove that uh, early adoption? I think it it helped, and a lot. You know, coming out of um, building the brand of this new control system, and we did a lot of I would consider kind of guerrilla marketing things. We were uh, just a spunky uh, group of folks that. Um, built this control system at an offsite, you know, kind of a skunk works, but within a large company, Emerson. So we had that spirit of trying new things and whatever. So the blog was there, but it did take, I would say a full year to get everyone comfortable with it. And it was the biggest fear was that two-way communication. It wasn't just us putting our point of view on, you know, it's the fact that comments were there and people could come back uh, at us. And and we had to, the way we addressed it, it was like, what's the 10 worst things that could possibly happen by opening up a blog that had comments where people could respond? And I think some of them were like, our competitors would attack us relentlessly. You know, our experts would be found out to be not that great of experts. You know, it was just all these kind of things. And I think after working through that and going through the different levels, they go, well, let's start it as a pilot and see what happens. If it's really bad, we'll shut it down. Well, you know, we've been going since 2006, so nothing really bad has happened to this point. <laughs> I think it's interesting, you know, because that certainly was, I remember, Carmen and I were giving talks around that time about social media to businesses and kind of getting them on side with the idea of doing it. And that was always the number one complaint or the number one concern. It should be noted, this is well before Cool Apartment. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, it it never really materialized that way that the, that the blog, I mean, obviously there are issues that pop up on social media these days. Some platforms are worse than others, but... Uh, you know, that that kind of, uh, well, our competitors will lambaste us on, on our own platform. It never really kind of came to pass for anybody that I can recall. Yeah, it, it was like almost similar conversations in the mid 90s as the internet was just getting going and companies had that, you know, we put data sheets out there and it was like, well, the competitors are going to get your data sheets and, you know, know what you're doing and build better <laughs> products. And our response was always, yeah, if they're looking at what we've already done and out there that we're already working on the next thing. So they're locking themselves in behind. So we, you know, use those kind of arguments. And the other thing, it was like, 
if if you look at our the customers we serve, these guys are engineers with a very, very difficult job, you know, keeping the plant running safely, reliably, efficiently, all, all that kind of thing. And nobody's out there to burn bridges and, you know, like other industries and, and be a troll and that kind of thing. Everyone's very good natured and appreciates whatever help they can get from where they can get it. So that's what we've seen throughout this whole journey is we just don't see that. I, uh, I can't help but notice that you still have commenting act uh, is available on the blog today, which there's <laughs> so many organizations because of course commenting isn't, engaged with that much either these days they've just you know often have just removed it entirely but i love that you still have the option there uh, it makes the old blogger in me uh happy <laughs> yeah and we only get the occasional comment because most of that action will happen in linkedin or you know if it's embedding a video in there it may be the comment stream in youtube or whatever so that is kind of scattered all over but uh yeah, it's still there, and you know we do get the occasional. Um, you know, there used to be a problem with a lot of spam and other stuff in there, but um, with the plugins there to eliminate most of that, it's generally pretty good stuff that's there. When we do get comments, I, I'm interested. Uh, you know, you, you've been at this a long time. You know, 15 years or so, you know, developing and and creating this content and, and building the capabilities within your team at Emerson. What's, you know, what, what do you really feel is the, is the next phase for, for you and your team? Are, are you looking forward to any particular channels or are you uh, just going to continue to grow and, uh, and provide great content through the channels you have now? Or is there anything you're really excited about coming up? Well, we did just over the past couple of years, it used to be more the Jim Cahill show blog and, and we redesigned it and opened it up where a lot of our business units and people in the world areas could blog. So that that's grown just in there's a lot more voices, a lot more things going on there. We've also got much more into podcasting. Uh, like it, it is a very good medium for people in those commutes or exercising or whatever else. So that's something we're doing more. And like we did with blogs, I've been doing a lot of them, but putting together the structure and, you know, what makes for a good podcast and that kind of thing, um, um, working on that right now. So we could have more of our people in the business units and world areas doing it, you know, it's got to fit in with the brand. We don't want the comedy hour here, you know, other stuff. It's got to fit with the Emerson brand. So that kind of thing we're working on. And then I'd say, you know, especially what COVID induced the live element of things, trying to look at it more of, you know, can we do it where you actually promote the live recording, um, then edit it. And then you have the video version, uh, others, you know, what you see some of the popular podcasters doing, but basically being able to wrap a campaign around that a little bit to get more out of it than maybe a podcast alone or a YouTube video alone. So we're looking at, at some of those kind of things and always kind of monitoring the, newer platforms like how would we use TikTok or 
you know, some of some of the other things in there. And we tend to I have a big social marketing council with representatives from the different business units and world areas. And we'll pilot and try things like Latin America wanted to do something in um, Instagram where we didn't have big. So they've had some success with that. They also have a every Friday podcast in Spanish. And so we encourage that kind of thing and have them share results. And then if it's something that pans out, you know, how can we put structure around it? So other people can do it, but do it in, in you know way where we've learned our lessons of, of the new platform. So but that's the kind of thing we're always looking for ways because one thing about social is it it never stands still and what worked yesterday may not work tomorrow. So we we've always, you know, got to see what's out there. It's fantastic to hear uh, uh, that level of innovation happening, really. I mean, you don't you don't hear a lot of. Uh, 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 marketers in your space talking about experimentation with Instagram or TikTok. No. Um, uh, and, and even, you know, Instagram certainly would be much more common, but uh, yeah. even then, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's a few and far between by comparison to the number of people who, you know, they haven't started a blog, they haven't done a podcast, they haven't, and and I think in a lot of cases they're like, well, why why where why would I start now? Like, yeah, it's it almost feels, like it's too late. Yeah, it feels too late, and I think that kind of goes back. If you have the platforms and you've developed a way to uh, operationalize new platforms and fold those in and and learn and experiment, then it probably gets a lot easier. And, you know, if you haven't started this kind of thing and you don't have a bank of 15 years of content, you probably feel like I, I, I just shouldn't start, hmm. you know, but uh, the best time is now if you uh, didn't start 15 years ago. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. And we kind of do because we built some critical mass around our Emerson automation solutions channels and, you know, some of the larger businesses have enough people where they can generate the content, but a lot of them don't, you know, they're wear all the hats from PR marketing sales tools for the sales, you know, the whole gamut. So the, the thought of, you know, starting something new in social, uh, it's, it is a big hill to climb because you got to constantly feed it with content and that kind of thing. And, and for them, you know, we have our Emerson automation solutions, channel and you know we just work at scheduling making sure we get uh don't inundate the different channels in there but but that tends to work pretty well so we have we have some flexibility to be able to have the the larger businesses have some autonomy and communicating out their way but also the smaller ones that we can take care of them with our company you know brand channels that's fantastic Jim, I really want to thank you for, uh, uh, I guess, uh, just kind of uh, opening up the world of Emerson Social to mm -hmm. our, our listeners today. I think it's been really instructive to hear uh, how it's evolved and and just kind of your, your way of thinking about it, really, yeah, and, really and, and nurturing it. It's, uh, it's been very instructive, and, and thank you for sharing your expertise with us today. Well, I really appreciate the invite to share a little bit of our story and uh, get it out there. So thank you. Thank you all so much for that. Appreciate it. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. 
Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring.